Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. A ship is safe in a harbor, but that's not what ships are for. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking this morning? Oh, dude. Well, good morning for you. Yeah, so it's, it's like noonish right now, and uh, I'm like really, really good because I, I jumped the gun a little bit. It's not October, but we were talking about pumpkin beers, and I had to go out and get like my personal favorite. It's when you open it, like the aroma is... Is it pumpkin? Yeah, it's pumpkin. <laughs> uh, dude, from Southern Tier, you it still is... still don't have it. It is my, like, it's like pumpkin all the way to the top, and then maybe the next one is like three steps below. I just, has a special place for me. So speaking of amazing beers that are available only on the East Coast, mm-hmm. the community has proven its value to me recently, <laughs> because Candace let me know that uh, one of our community members actually sent me a private message giving me like a huge bun- like bundle of tips for things to do in Vermont since I'm going there next month to speak. Really? They inside message tips you? on getting my hands on the elusive Hetty Topper beer, ah. which is like the highest rated beer ever. So maybe with those secret tips, I will be able to get my hands on some. Though I, I kind of hold out little hope because I'm only <laughs> going to be there for two days. And, and but yes. If you get two, you're, you're obviously going to UPS one to me, right? Yes, I'm tempted <laughs> to just go to New York after Vermont. To be honest, dude, come. <laughs> I could, I could potentially do that. I don't know yet, but yeah, date and time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, guys, today the catchphrase was from uh, William Shedd. Is that an author, Andrew? Did you submit that yeah. catchphrase? It says via Andrew. Yeah, yeah I, I submitted it to our own show. <laughs> I feel like I know who that person is, but I'm not sure. I, I forget what happened, but it was like kind of in my head, and then I wrote in an email or two to people, in, you know, in the community, and uh, I just kind of like it because people are afraid of taking risk, and like, look, I, I totally get it, but you know, they're like, you have to take some risk. You can't mm. not put yourself out there for everything. So, I don't know. We're talking about risks today. I feel we, like you made this coincide with the topic, Andrew. I, I would <laughs> like to say that I plan things that well, but <laughs> I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it to you. All right. So I'm actually really interested. Our guest on the show today, her name is Chaz Broomgraver, and she said I could make up the pronunciation of her last name. So how's it going, Chaz? Good. How are you guys? I'm doing good, and I'm really excited to talk about what we're talking about today because, I mean, you had a Kickstarter campaign that you guys launched and had some success with and i just recently backed a bag on kickstarter so i'm really excited to see the process that went into this and just get your story okay great um well i guess the first thing that should probably go without saying is that you need a good product if you're going to go on kickstarter um Mm. you also need a product that you really believe in and those two things are different believe it or not just because you have a good product does not mean the world's going to think so. Mm. And just because it's a good product, if you don't believe in it, people are going to sense that in your campaign. So just, you know, the first thing I'd like to say is get something good and believe in it and put your heart and soul into it. And um, then you're ready for Kickstarter. So I, I want to ask you a question on that because I know there's like believing in your stuff. And I know that you're kind of like building your own company, doing your own thing. So, so maybe you, you get this. Like, do you have to be like delusionally in love with the thing that you're making in order for it to work? Or can you be like mostly delusional? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, it, it's really good to stay grounded. Um, mm. You know, 
it's easy to think your product is so incredible and then you show it to some people and they ask a few really important questions and you say, wow, I, I never thought of that. So you, you do need to really believe in your product because other people are going to knock it down. People are going to insult you. It's, it, it can be really challenging and you are, I, I've heard a quote that if, if it's not difficult, you're not doing anything impressive. Mm. So believing in yourself is big, but don't get carried away. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely agree with your two points. Um, I've, I've known some people like local people when I was a college student who asked me to help them with Kickstarter projects. And like, I could just kind of tell that they thought Kickstarter was this source of free money. That would be very mm. easy. <laughs> so it's just like people are going to pour money into our stuff, even if it's something we don't really care about or if it's not that great of a product. And every successful Kickstarter project I've seen, like the team behind it just sort of like bleeds passion about what they're building. You can just tell. And the ones that don't succeed, they seem like there's, I don't know, like, I mean, they, I think they can not succeed for a variety of reasons, but it's usually partly the fact that there's just not as much of the humanity of the team showing through, I think, at least in the ones I've seen. So is that something you've seen as well? I think so. I think that um, having a product is one thing, but really when you put a product on Kickstarter, they're backing you. They want, mm -hmm. they want you or your team, you know, if it's, a, it's, if it's a few of you. And the passion that shows through and the commitment to the product is really important because these people are, it's pre-sales. You know, they're, they're pledging to something on faith that you are going to fulfill in six months or a year. So you're asking them basically to just give you money. And yeah. if they don't trust you and believe in you, then they're really not going to believe in your product. Well, how do you do that? Because you're obviously like internet strangers, right? I mean, you could, I think you could like link your Facebook and then they could, I don't know, stalk your, your mom or something. But how do you kind of like convey trust um, without like being like forced? Because I, I definitely agree with you that I'll, I've backed things that haven't become like a reality and uh, it's very much about the creator. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say the biggest thing that we've done is be really authentic in your video. Like we didn't use an iPhone. We did hire a videographer, but we also didn't spend $20,000 on our video. You know, we just, mm -hmm. we got a couple friends together. We paid them a little fee and we just were real. We spoke to the camera. We, we told them what we were going to do with our money, why we needed their money. Um, you know, it's explaining to them it's going to go to production or it's going to go to this or it's going to go to that. That helps them. Mm. Um, and then also for us, it was a little bit easier because we had been in an existing business for three years. So people already knew about us and we had bloggers who had already written about us. Mm. But even even if you don't have a business that, that you've already started and this is a brand new venture, um, reaching out to media, to to, you know, to bloggers, to family, to friends, getting people excited about the product and just showing that you're committed through through your video and uh, through the copy of the campaign, I think is really where it shows through. Cool. So I want to do some foundational questions because there might be some people out there who maybe have heard of Kickstarter but don't know exactly the specifics behind it. And then I don't think we've talked about what your product is either. So let's start with Kickstarter because, I mean, I think people – when I think Kickstarter, they think crowdfunding, but there are some specifics about it. So 
what exactly is the process of backing a project on Kickstarter? Like, what can people expect and what can't they expect? Right. So, Kickstarter is where you put your product when it's in the prototyping stages before it actually exists. So, you, you've got prototypes, you've figured out your factory, um, hopefully, you've figured out your pricing. And, but you, you don't have it to market. It's not in production. Kickstarter is very clear that you cannot um, fund, you can't do funds for a campaign of something that already exists, mm. if that makes sense. So, um, so, so backers would go to Kickstarter, they would find a product they really like or a campaign that they're just in love with, and then they would back it. And that involves choosing a pledge level, which is, you know, you pledge $30 for one hobo roll, for example, which was our product. Um, or you pledge 65 and you get two hobo rolls or et cetera. And then throughout the next three to eight months, depending on your project, you keep your backers updated with how production's going, where their money is being spent, uh, and when they can expect to get their product. And then you fulfill it. And hopefully everybody's happy at that point. So with these pledge levels, um, is it only like product type rewards that people can get? Or are people able to like, be an investor and invest in your company is that an option where they could like get a, pro- a piece of the profits back great question um kickstarter is <clears throat> product only it is pre-sale <clears throat> only on kickstarter um and it has to be something that you are making because of the success of the campaign so it okay. it can't be like oh and i'm also going to offer you this nalgene bottle from rei it, it, it has to be something that you are creating Um, there are sites out there where you can get investors and people can invest and get a percent of your company, but Kickstarter is not one of them. Mm. And would you say Kickstarter is like the best known then, or is there a reason that, cause I always, I see most things going on Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter has the biggest following right now. There have been, Mm. um, other sites like I know Indiegogo is fantastic for music videos and uh, music, you know, all that, um, Arts, although they are growing in popularity very quickly for products, um, they have a more lenient backing system um, and a more lenient campaign system. And um, I will just preface that a lot of what we're going to talk about today applies to Indiegogo and other crowdfunding platforms as well. I just personally had chosen Kickstarter. Okay. So um, why did you choose to go with Kickstarter and, and not just kind of do it on your own because you did have an existing business? And um, how ridiculously easy was it to get all of that free money from Kickstarter? <laughs> um, well, so running a business as a really small company um, and a young entrepreneur such as myself, we are always having cash flow issues. Even when the business is paying for itself, which it has done for the last five years, it's paid for contractors and full-time employees and a small marketing team, which is phenomenal. It doesn't accumulate money fast enough to be able to put $100,000 down on a factory order. That is a really big, big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get a line of credit from a bank without a huge interest rate. And so one of the options is to um, offer equity to people and they can be investors in your business. But that comes with a lot of responsibility and Mm -hmm. it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas with Kickstarter, you basically say, I have this great product. I, I want to bring it to life. So if you guys pre-order it now, you'll basically help me fund that, that factory order. You'll help me make mm. money towards that, that money I need to, to basically get the inventory to America. Mm. 
And that, I like that because it seems like it's it's the one way of getting funding that you don't already have where people aren't expecting a, a larger return. Like they're just expecting product. Which is right. Right. I think it keeps it simpler. You know, I have, um, we have other businesses that we run smaller things that have nothing to do with products, but we have investors and it is a lot of work to keep them happy. You have to constantly be updating them. If you take a vacation to Thailand, you better bring your computer because they're going to want to know that you're working. So for me personally with Gobi Gear, I was I really didn't want to have investors if I didn't have to. And Kickstarter is just this brilliant way to bring that money in without having the investors. It, it really is. Because mm-hmm. once you fulfill the product, they're happy. Your, your, yeah. your backers, they, they got what they needed. And, and it's just, it's fantastic. So what was the product that you guys actually kickstarted? So the product we did is called the Hobo Roll. It is a stuff sack that has five internal compartments. So that you can keep your gear organized while you're on the go. It also comes with a shoulder strap so you can convert your stuff sack into a day bag, which is really mm-hmm. handy if you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Like if you're you know, living out of a backpack, which my husband and I tend to do quite a bit, um, you can take the stuff sack and just clip the shoulder strap to it and off you go on a day hike or to the market or whatever you need to do that day. So is, it, is this like something you would put inside of a bigger backpack? You typically? could. Yep, okay. you could. That was that was our original um, our original goal with Kickstarter was that it's a stuff sack that goes inside of another bag. And through market demand and listening to our customers, it sort of morphed into a, a day bag slash stuff sack situation, which is really cool. Yeah, it is really cool because I, I typically travel with just a backpack and I have like this weird mesh cube that I put all my clothes in. But I'm looking at this one like, oh, I could put my shirts in one compartment and like my pants in the other one. So that's a pretty uh-huh. cool idea. And it, it kind of reminds me of those like drawstring bags that you get at all the college orientations and stuff. Right, right. It's like that, <laughs> but it has the internal segmentation. So things stay separated from each other while they're in your bag, which is, it, it's like having five little stuff sacks all in one spot. So you can yeah. track your things. Cool. So I'm looking at the, the reward tiers here. And I think it was the lowest price you could get the actual product for was $25, right? Yes, that was our early bird special. Okay, and then but you've got three tiers that are below that. So what, I'm ask, what I want to ask you here is how do you decide what kind of rewards to give for lower tiers that aren't the actual product? And in your experience, what percentage of your actual revenue comes from those lower tiers? Are they worth um, having? By lower tiers, do you mean like the you'll get a decal or a thank you? Is that what you're on our yeah. page? Yeah. I think like you yeah, see like, the $2, like tiers $10. that are less money than that would actually get you the actual product. Gotcha. Um, for us, very few. Um, okay. I, I, I don't think anybody wanted the decal, which is fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was $10. And um, the thank you, I think we had about eight, eight people maybe took that. Um, so... The majority of people are coming to your Kickstarter campaign because they want your product and they want to see you succeed. The reason for offering something that is a lower tier is just there might be some people who don't want to spend $35 or $25, Um, especially if you are selling electronics or something that has a higher price point. Like let's say your product's going to cost $149. 
there might be some people that really want to see you succeed, but they just, they can't do $149. So offer okay. them a t-shirt for 25. That's, I would also guess that there's a portion of the audience that uh, would like to purchase the product at a later date when it's in production, but they can't maybe afford it right now. So, but they want to make sure that they can contribute to make sure it does hit the funding goal. Absolutely. I think that's really important. You know, like I said, these people are supporting you and your, your ideas. And um, sometimes that's, if that's all they can do, you want to make sure that you have a platform for them to be able to do that. Yeah. So speaking of the funding goals, Kickstarter, with Kickstarter, you have to hit the funding goal, correct? Correct. You have to hit your goal and it's all or nothing with them. And then with Indiegogo, you can, you can typically do it to where like no matter what, you get the money even if it doesn't hit the goal, right? I believe so. I believe they have two different choices at least, maybe, maybe more, but where you can either do it like Kickstarter where it's an all or nothing or you can do a just whatever you make is what you keep. Okay. So what would be the advantage of going with an all or nothing funding type? So the all or nothing, I feel like gives customers a, like, we've got to do this now or it won't succeed. It, it, mm -hmm. it makes your call to action, which is support our campaign, uh, much stronger. And if you know that you need a certain amount of money or else this product, just you can't do it. Um, like, you know, if your factory has a minimum order of $20,000 or whatever it is that you just, you know, you need to make that money. Um, it helps you have some peace of mind too, that you're not going to end up having to fulfill $3,000 of this product, you know, and then it's just not going to be economic for you. So okay. you, you had put your goal, it looks like at $20,000. How did you arrive at that? Why was it not 15 or 25? Sure. So actually, that's um, uh, there's a lot of research out there that will tell you that most campaigns over $10,000 fail on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And so it was a little bit of a gamble for us to go higher than that. But I took a look at what my factory was going to require of me for minimum fabric orders, for minimum buckle orders, for the, the cargo freight to get to America. Um, all of these Things were big factors in how much money we needed to raise. And so we went with 20 because that worked really nicely with how much we had already spent on the campaign, mm. you, you know, getting to the point of the launch date, as well as what we would need minimum to be able to do this. And that was our number. So you, you put 20. It was a gamble. Um, and you actually you got 86. So right. you you didn't just like get to, you know five more or a little bit more you like multiple overachieved your goal um like why did that happen like why do you think you were able to pull that off Sure well I actually think there there are two things that all entrepreneurs about to go on Kickstarter should ask themselves they should ask what is our funding goal and that is the goal that everyone is going to see that for us that was 20,000 and mm -hmm. then they ask what is our in-house goal what do we really actually want to pay for the patents, the new website, all this other stuff, right? Not just production, but mm. so our in-house goal was 60,000. And oh. what that meant was that we were going to keep digging and keep social outreach and just keep going until we hit that goal. And the way we were able to do that, the big thing is through stretch goals. Once you reach your, your, your funding um, to our $20,000, it's like, okay, well now why would people continue to support our campaign? The, the product's yeah. going to be made. It's already a success. 
what what would they have to benefit from now? Mm. So a stretch goal is where you say, okay, well, if we reach, um, let's see what our next one was. If we reach $40,000, you get a shoulder strap. And is that everyone, even the people who did it before? or Everyone, mm. yes. It applies to everyone. So now these people who have already pledged to your campaign are encouraged to share it with their friends, encouraged to pledge again. And then, you know, we did 60,000 was um, the customer gets to choose a third color. Mm. And we did this whole voting system. It was really cool. Um, and then 80,000 or more was reflectivity to have some reflective thread on the, okay. the product. So, but these things keep people excited. They keep them motivated. They keep them wanting to, to pledge more. Yeah. I have a stretch goal story from Kickstarter. Uh, there's this game that was on Kickstarter a few years ago called the hat in time and i mean andrew i don't know about you but i was a huge fan of like banjo kazooie oh and yeah, Crash yeah. Bandicoot, those games back in the day and like that genre kind of died for a while and it's just now making a comeback and i think this game was like one of the first like new forays going back into it and they did it on kickstarter but one of their stretch goals was they were going to get the guy who did the soundtrack for banjo kazooie to produce an actual song for the game if they hit a certain stretch goal and then like everything beyond that he would agree to do another song and another song so i was like that's awesome and i pledged a lot more than i thought i would and <laughs> still waiting for the game to come out so so it works on it but it does work yeah i was excited about it and they, like with games they can add new levels and and like hub worlds and like new features and stuff but with products is the same thing where like you guys said you can add the shoulder strap and different colors and things like that too which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's um, and all the I. This is one thing I will mention that is a possible pitfall of Kickstarter is to know what your stretch goals are going to be before you launch the campaign. Mm. Um, mm. So why is that important? Well, okay, so we launched our campaign, and I thought we'll have about two weeks before we fund, mm. so I'll have time to think about my stretch goals. No big deal. Well, we launched and we funded in less than three days. Wow! And I went, oh my god! Wow! Yeah. I mean, this is a good problem to have. Uh, but what it meant was I had no idea what my stretch goal was going to be. So we had reached our funding. Now what? Right. Mm. How do I keep people motivated? So I threw in a shoulder strap because a few mm. customers had suggested, hey, maybe you should have a shoulder strap. I hadn't even thought about how much that would cost me. I hadn't thought about how I was really going to do it. I hadn't thought about if the fabric could hold the strength you know, of a shoulder strap, basically, like without ripping, I, there were some issues with just going ahead and doing it. But I I felt like I I had to offer something. Mm. And same thing, we reached that stretch goal really quickly. And then it was like, Oh, gosh, well, now what am I going to do? And so we threw in another color, which was, you know, I love the colors that we sell. Don't get me wrong. I I love them. (laughs) But um, when it came to those minimum orders at the factory that I was talking about, it put me in kind of a bind, because now I just added a whole nother color. And I, I wish I had sort of thought about these things in advance and maybe dialed in my stretch goals before I had launched the campaign instead of just throwing out promises, which we did fulfill. I mean, we, we kept our word. Um, it just it ended up costing us a little bit more money than I thought mm. down the line. So I, I want to um, get come back to the details, but I want to I take a step back because um, it's like you you launched and in three days you made twenty k and then in a few more days you were you know at forty and like you had monstrous success. 
Um, and I think like listening to it, you're like, oh wow, like she just created this campaign, her friends created a video, and then it's like rich. And um, I the Free way money. yeah, and I, I think the thing is for me, I feel like building the thing or making the thing is the easiest part, and and it's like the funnest part because that's like what you're really passionate about. But getting the people to come to your campaign and care about you and your product and put money down is is no small feat. Um, and and you're saying you you talk with bloggers. Thomas and I are bloggers. It's like herding cats. I don't know how you you did it. Like, <laughs> like that, I, how did you how did you put it all together? I mean, that's it's a big I, deal. I can attest that I have had Kickstarter pitch emails come to me several times. <laughs> okay, it's hard to convince me. Yeah, well, this is actually this is really fun to to talk to you guys about this. So, oh gosh, okay. So the first thing to know is that there are people on Kickstarter who are just just trolling Kickstarter, looking for the next project. They subscribe to the emails. They mm. they go to Kickstarter, um, and if they see a cool project, they're going to back it. Mm. And I think for us, that is what happened because I launched the campaign at midnight on my birthday, which was <laughs> July 1st last year, and I went to bed. And I woke up, and we were more than halfway there. And I went, what? whoa. Yeah, because I hadn't even told anybody I was doing this. I hadn't told the bloggers. I hadn't sent out oh, emails. Oh, wow. Yet. So, so no, what? you didn't even do any of your launch things. Like you just kind of made it live. Totally. And that's, I, I wish I had done more, you know, even though it was a success. Um, but so why was that first day? Why, when I hit launched, was it such a huge success? Well, I think one of the big things was that I had done my research before I launched. I had backed other campaigns for like four or five months. I had been backing campaigns. I had been looking at campaigns and I had a very clear call to action. I had a very clear, this is the product, this is what you get. Like when they, when they go to your page, they need to know within two seconds, maybe less, what they're going to get. Mm. And it can't just yeah. be another product. It can't just be another thing. It has to be something special. And so this is where I would invite people to really study. Um, if you go to Kickstarter and just like search projects, you're, you're going to see a bunch of thumbnails and so like it's a thumbnail that you get to select uh, and then it has your little tagline and then, you know, your percent funded so far. So that thumbnail and that tagline are so important because if, if those don't catch people's, people's eye, they're never even going to go to your campaign in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you could spend all the money in the world on your video and on your your copy, but if if that little bit originally is not really dialed in, they're they're not going to be excited about it. What category is was your project under? Because I'm looking at the 15 here, and I'm like, I'm not sure what a bag would fit under. So maybe um, crafts. It's, it's under design and then product design. Okay. Okay, now I can see why. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. Um. So I've got some other more interesting questions, but I do want to say like the page you guys designed is fantastically designed. And I like how you have like animated GIFs in there that show how everything's fitting in there. And you have like all the people that wrote about you. Like this is good stuff. And also like pictures of you guys using it, which I think is really important. It's Mm -hmm. not just pictures of the product. So um, you're launching this far before it's going to go into production. So what do you do to keep bigger companies from essentially coming out with what you're making before you launch it? 
Uh, and do you well, know if this has been a problem with other Kickstarters before? I, it's just something that kind of popped into my head. You know, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I guess there's a part of me that thinks if someone knocked this off, like some major company knocked it off, that would almost be an honor because it would mean I've made it into the big leagues. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as I know, I have only heard of issues going the other way around where, you know, someone makes a collapsible coffee mug or uh, something else and they use a name and some other big company has trademarked it and then they come after them and say, hey, you need to cease and desist immediately. So um, I don't know of anybody who's had their product knocked off. You can get patents. We have a design patent on our product. Um, okay. you, you try to get your patents lined up beforehand, but patents are really expensive. So How expensive is really expensive? Um, the design patent That's was 2500 which is wow. cheap. Um, a utility patent starts at ten, usually about ten thousand, and work your way up from there. So wow. Uh, so I mean, do you, actually, yeah. I think John Oliver has a video on patents. I mm -hmm. think it's him, and it's ridiculous. Like the whole system is just crazy. And it takes like months, and they just charge you like million dollar type I've, thing. I've heard that it costs. It takes a long time sometimes. Mm. It it does, and actually, what you can do, which is really cool, is um, you can write your own provisional patent. And if you're a small business, which almost all of us are, uh, it's $150. You file with the patent office, and then I believe it gives you 24 months where you have full patent protection on your product to decide oh, okay. if you want to go with a full patent. Wow. So wait, so, what, what would okay. be the benefit of like going with a full patent versus not? Because that is really cost-effective. It is. The only difference, though, is that you're not... So you may or may not, like they, they say you get the full protection of a patent, but if your idea is not patentable, then all of that gets revoked. Mm, so there's not okay. as, so the reason a patent is so expensive is because so much research goes into it. So much mm. backlog goes into figuring out, is there a patent similar that would allow yours to be rejected basically at the patent office? Um, so it, it gives you protection and allows you to say patent pending on your product, which I think is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's not necessarily going to be watertight. Okay. Yeah. So you basically like need to be pretty darn confident that what you've made is patentable to yes, stake and, your business and, on this provisional patent. Right. And I, I would be pretty pretty thorough in your search to make sure you're not infringing on someone else's patent because yeah. that could, could definitely happen. And then there are repercussions though. Okay. So you talked about earlier how, if you have investors, they always want to hear from you. You always have to keep them updated. Um, but Kickstarter has a comment section and yes. I know like from a lot of projects I've backed, there are always people in the comments going, where's an update on this game? You know, when's it going to come out? When's the beta going to come out? So like how demanding are people of updates and how did you guys handle it? So that's actually um, one of the things that I think helps you be really successful after the campaign, which is good. And if you're going to ask these people to come back later to support you again for mm. a second campaign, um, we did updates all the time. Um, we, Updates are really good ways to keep your backers informed. And even if you feel like you are annoying your customers, you should do it. So mm -hmm. we just, every time we had something to say, and sometimes even if we didn't have anything to say, we would send them an update. And it's just a great way to prevent them from getting anxious or asking you questions and getting agitated and posting in the comments section, which is mm -hmm. 
kind of what you're trying to prevent. You want good comments in the comment section. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've noticed a couple of the projects I've backed, um, they'll send updates regularly, and even if there's not really a whole lot of new information about the product, they'll be like, here's our director of marketing who's in Vietnam trying to get the factories lined up, and here's a picture of him eating a scorpion or something. <laughs> and like, right. I don't know. It's like, hey, as long as you're telling me what's going on in your lives, I'm not going to be too mad that I'm waiting a little bit longer. You know, I like the thing I just backed, I backed it about a month ago, and I probably won't get it till Christmas. So uh -huh. I'm just happy that they're giving updates about it. <laughs> right, right. And remember, they're, they're backing you as a, as a person as much as your mm -hmm. product. So they want to hear from you. Yeah. You know, the, we had a couple of times that we were like, hey, we just traveled for a long weekend doing X, Y, Z. And these were the hobo rolls we brought with us. And look at them in our backpack, in our duffel bag. And oh, yeah, that is true. So, when, I got, when I got to see pictures of them using the prototypes out in the world, like I was like, okay, that's cool. Because I can actually mm -hmm. see real use of what I'm going to get. It's hard right. with, without like a body in the picture to know even the size and like how mm -hmm. it might look. Yeah. Um, right, right. That's that's good. And one of the things we like to remind our backers was that um, we are backpackers and we use our products. So we make them for ourselves. We're not just some company making a product to sell to other people who are going to give us money. We yeah. are making this product because we want it and we mm -hmm. use it. And mm -hmm. and that, I think, really helps your, your customers connect to you and say, oh, if it's good enough for you, then it must be really good because you trust your own product sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andrew, have you backed any projects on Kickstarter? Uh, a bunch. I'm actually also waiting on a video game that I think is like maybe up to three times the amount of time they said it would complete, but it looks awesome. Which one are you waiting for? Uh, it's called uh, Paradise Lost. It's like, Oh, yeah. I heard about that one. It's this platformer. It, it looks really sweet. I, I, I uh, backed the Slim wallet. Um, okay. I, I backed a few because I was actually really considering going into Kickstarter as well. Uh, my Laura, my wife, and I were, were building this app thing to help people get jobs. Um, but but I really want to dive back into the marketing piece because I think it's fantastic that you got like such a great you know following early on. But I know you guys did some serious work. I mean, you had a marketing team. What did you guys do? Because I I don't really know after a lot of research what I would even do. Sure. So it's definitely a very important component of running your Kickstarter campaign. So ideally what you would do before the campaign, especially if you don't have a website already, is you would make a landing page. And a landing page is just where people can get a little information about the product. They can enter their email address and then you will send them updates and then they'll know when, when it goes live. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a great way to just capture some emails um, ahead of time. And then what you probably should be doing four to six weeks before the campaign is reaching out to print publications. So you could start local, your local newspaper, um, you know, maybe your county newspaper, anyone who you might have a connection to in any shape or form. Reaching out to them would be great. And then um, as you get closer to the campaign, we were reaching out to bloggers mm. and telling them you don't just tell them, hey, we're running a Kickstarter. Why don't you help us? You, you tell them, hey, you, this is your audience. This is our product. And this is why we think your audience is going to love our product. And if mm. you agree, once we're funded, or maybe if you have enough prototypes uh, you know, now, we'll, we'll give you a sample that you can try as long as you, you support our campaign and, and share it with your fans. 
you know, you're not asking for much, but you're, you're relating it to, to why would they want to, why do they care? I mean, you guys said you're bloggers. Who, who gets through to you? Yeah, people, first of all, definitely people who give us free shit. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. I always accept free, free, free things. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But people who For know me, your it's audience. Like, it's usually somebody who can provide value to my audience. That's a thing. Bef- like high like quality. Without my audience having to pay for something. So if they're like, um, one that one that I was interested in at one point was like, hey, we're doing this Kickstarter, but we'd like to do maybe like a guest poster or a podcast about like how we even built this product. Like how does a college student get the know-how to build a product on uh, like the engineering and all that. And, like that sounds like a cool story. I could use that and then I'd be happy to talk about your product. Mm. So that's what usually gets me interested is like the stories behind things. But I think it's different depending on what kind of audience and what kind of subject a blogger writes about. Right. So one of the things we did was a lot of research on, um, what kind of bloggers, who's going to cover us, and then why? Why would they cover us? You know, you, you have to make it interesting for them. And something else that is really cool is if you search other campaigns that are similar to yours, um, you know, like other outdoor gear, and look for who covered them. Who hmm. gave them media coverage hmm. and, and what did they say about them? And contact that writer and be like, hey, you wrote about such and such product on Kickstarter last summer. Well, I've got a really great product that I think your audience is going to love to hear about. And here's why. So um, I, I could imagine, you know, you you sitting down and, and kind of like getting a spreadsheet together of all the potentials that, that may uh, work for you. Um, and, and that's something you could probably do on your own. Like where did the marketing team come in? Or was it really just you needed people to collaborate with? Uh, you know, what, and what sort of budget did you put towards that? Sure, sure. So one of the most important things I think about being an entrepreneur and starting a company is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. And one of my biggest weaknesses is uh, copyright for marketing. I am great at reaching out to bloggers because I love their blogs. I mean, the bloggers we talk to, I love them. I, I, I love what they do, but I'm not good at putting that into words. When you only have a short email pitch, mm. You know, maybe you got one or two paragraphs to to really sell your your message. It's it's hard for me. So I had this great spreadsheet with all these potential bloggers, and I hired this marketing team to basically take my email templates and make them sound really good without sen- sounding sales pitchy. Mm. You know, like like just mm. they took my authentic words and they just made them a little bit better, made them a little more concise, and that's essentially what they did with my campaign too. You you said my campaign looked great. Um, and thank you so much, but I did a lot of that work of the, like the skeleton of it. And then my marketing team really made it sound good. So, so you had maybe, um, like the pictures of you using the product and you probably had like uh, 500 pictures of you using the product (laughs) and, (laughs) and you basically like just dumped this truckload of stuff on them. And then they came up with a page using what you created. Pretty much. I mean, I told them, hey, this is this is how I want to attack it. This is what our rewards are going to be. This is my story. This is why people are going to love the product. And then they, yeah, they just made it look good. Uh, and the graphic designer, too, we hired. Um, he sort of then put their words and put the photos together and to make that beautiful visual story that you saw. Um, and you asked about my budget. It was probably about um, $2,000 for the graphic design and the marketing. Really? That's very awesome. Does that include the video too? The video was an extra fifteen hundred. 
Okay, so you set you set your goal at twenty thousand, but your in house goal was sixty thousand, and so you had about a thirty five hundred dollar investment up front just to do the campaign, essentially. Correct. Okay, so did that mean that you were actually wanting a sixty three thousand dollar return in total, or were you just like saying we want to hit sixty thousand, and that would mean like we made fifty seven thousand? Um, yeah, the, the latter of that, that 60000 okay. minus the investment. And also, please remember to do your research. Um, Kickstarter charges a, a percentage of your total, oh, yeah. right? And, and that can be by the time they took the percentage and then they were using Amazon payments. I, I don't think they are anymore, but it was almost 10% wow. of my campaign. Oh, yeah, wow. so, so think about that. Make sure you budget that in when you're thinking about these goals. Okay. So you guys yeah. made what was it, eighty six thousand? You said, uh-huh. yeah, eighty six thousand. So you probably took home only about seventy, what seventy two thousand, seventy three thousand, right? After the expenses, yeah, and there correctly. there were ongoing expenses during the campaign too. And this is something else that's sort of a sliding scale depending. So our campaign was was doing really well, right? And mm-hmm. I needed to provide stretch goals, and I needed to edit the campaign to include these new things we were offering. So I had to hire my graphic designer again. And then our, our pitches to the bloggers was changing because it was like, instead of saying, hey, if, you're, if your backers support us, you, you know, they'll get a hobo role. It was like, no, if your backers support us, they'll get reflection on their hobo role. You know, they'll get this mm. reflective thread. Mm. So I needed help again from my marketing team with changing up. So there were ongoing costs. And so I would say at the end of the day, we probably walked away with about $68,000. Okay. Now, still a pretty great return. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> well, well, I want to maybe dig a little bit deeper because we are like a, a money podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you maybe walked out with 68, but you also have costs for materials. You have factory costs. Um, all these things, how much did you actually walk away with? Or did you literally walk away with nothing and it just kind of grew the business hugely in a very short period of time? Um, so yeah, so the factory order plus the customs duty and the shipping, I think was about Mm $58,000. So we had 10 off the top, which we immediately put into designing our packaging, our new website and towards starting basically the the next product, which is launching October 1st. So So you guys didn't really take any like personal profit away from this at all. I have not taken any personal profit from this um, this business since I started it five years ago. Okay. And that, that is by choice, though. I, okay. I could be paying myself a paycheck, but I've decided to pay a full-time employee instead. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I have just reinvested every penny into the company because I, I love this company so much, and I feel that it has such a huge future and it, it just, it needs to grow. So it, it, it's like a, it's like a fire that is rapidly building. It, it's sucking in oxygen and everything else. And I'm just putting money at it and it's growing. And so, I'm cool. keep doing I, it. so I have a question that before we change the subject, well, no, I just want to say, was, I, uh, I really resonate with that because I, I do the same thing. Like, I, I mean, I'm addicted mm. to this, but I, I, I want to go to your Thomas, your question, Thomas, but do you have like other income? Like, so you're building your business and you're funneling everything back in to grow it. How are you eating? Yes. Um, I own an environmental consulting firm and I work for about four months a year in Southern California doing biology work. So basically mm-hmm. I get paid to hike around the wilderness looking for endangered species. With a hobo roll. 
<laughs> Usually, yeah, with the home <laughs> role. And, uh, it's, it's a really cool job and it, it pays pretty well. And in four months, I can usually make enough money to get by for the whole year. So that's oh, why wow. I'm then able to spend eight, eight months just doing Gobi gear and not needing to skim anything off the top of it. Oh, that's so cool. So you said yeah. $58,000 was what it cost for the factory order and the, the, the duty for shipping it across. Where was it from? Um, from China. Okay. Uh, so was that $58,000 just to fulfill the backer's orders or were you able to make more bags on top of that that you're able to sell later? Great question. So the backers took about 2,700 bags and we ordered 7,500 with that money. Oh, so, wow. so you were able to create a huge inventory. Totally, which we have then been, we're almost sold out now. So we've been selling off. We got our inventory um, in April. And so we've almost sold another 5,000 bags since April on the market. Okay. That's and yeah. so congratulations. The, the extra five thousand, which is amazing. Yeah, congrats. Um, are you able to just keep making more off that? Is the margin pretty good from the actual retail sales? So the margin is good. They've been retail on our website, but they've also been wholesale, where the margin is not quite as high. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, we've just been mostly putting the money back into the company. We have stockpiled some money, which we basically are now putting into this next Kickstarter campaign. Um, it feels really good to not have a negative balance in the bank account, which <laughs> the way things went for quite a while, um, years ago, but we don't have like, a, we won't be able to do our next factory order without our Kickstarter campaign on October okay. 1st. We, we need it to be successful in order to fund it. Otherwise, um, I'm going to have to try to go to a bank or something to, mm -hmm. to get the cash, which I'd really prefer not to do. Yeah. With the, um, with the wholesale orders, were they? Are you like getting into stores like REI or somewhere else? Um, lots of small mom and pop stores. We we want to grow yeah. organically. Um, there are some companies that go straight to REI, and that is that is awesome. That is so great for them. What is REI, uh, by the way? Huge um, backpacking outdoor store. Uh, yeah, like they're like <laughs> the Shangri La of <laughs> backpacking. Some of them uh, have actual climbing walls in them. Wow. <laughs> yeah, what Denver does. It's amazing. They are really great store. Um, I'm just, I'm not ready for them yet. We, okay. I want to have a few more products to offer them, which is why this next Kickstarter is so important for us. And I want to show them a track record. I want to show them that we've mm -hmm. had X many retailers who have been loving our product and selling through it. Um, because REI can place an initial order and if they don't sell through your product, because no one knows what it is or what it does, they won't order with you ever again. So you really kind of, I, I want to do my part and make sure it will sell once it's in their stores. And we are talking to them. It's just, we're, we're not quite there yet. Okay. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you're out in the wilderness. Um, you know, you're like, I, I really need something like a hobo roll, right? Um, you, you have this like eureka moment. Um Blah, blah, blah. All this time passes. You launch your Kickstarter. Like, how much time was that? And how much work, like, how much of your time did you have to put in to get it to that point? 
Great question. So probably four months of prep time. Um, so there's a lot of things to consider and there's really great resources online. But like, for example, what time of year are you going to launch your campaign? So we launched in the summer. That was probably the worst time to launch um, <laughs> because people go on vacation. So if they're spending money, they're spending money on things they're going to get right then and there. They don't want to spend money on something they're going to get in six months. It's just summer is a time to be out and about and, and doing stuff. Um, also, summer is when most people launch their campaigns, so you have more competition. Mm. So anyway, you can do research on this, but um, ideally, you would think, what time of year am I going to launch and, and plan well in advance for that? And then you want to film the video and start writing the copy of the campaign, and, and you need to make sure that whatever theme you're going to choose, that you stick with it all the way through. And that's, that's really important because for me, it took a couple months to kind of settle on my theme. Um, and so our theme was um, basically an essential stuff sack for life's adventures. And it was time saving. It saves you time on the trail. But there were a lot of other options we had for what, what theme we were going to go with. And so kind of narrowing that down and dialing that in and then writing the script for the video and editing the video and editing the campaign, it, it, it takes a while. And, and then you have to get your prototypes. Like I, I really encourage people to make sure you know how much you are going to pay for this product. Don't just say, oh, I made this on my sewing machine or my friend made it in his garage and I'm sure I could get it made in China for $5. Like you need to really know that before you go in and that can take, that can take years mm -hmm. um, depending how complicated your product is. So, uh, but the actual like starting to assemble the campaign took about four months for us. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can second the one on uh, how knowing how much it's going to take to be made. When I was in college, I did a project with an entrepreneur who wanted to have something manufactured. And I think he had a problem with one manufacturer. So it ended up taking like two years to get it manufactured. And within that two years, it went from like X amount of dollars to like 2X to get yeah. manufactured. So the margin just got chopped down to almost nothing. Yeah, so it's definitely that's important to know what it's going to take to make it. Right, right. So um, you're obviously uh, very capable um, because, I mean, you did it. Uh, you're obviously driven. It sounds like you have other companies and, and things like that. Um, how much of it, of like this success, do you think was the, the special sauce that you bring or, or like just like kind of hunkering down like breaking it into manageable chunks and just like knocking it out like do you think that anyone can do this like anyone who has like a really good work ethic can do this like yeah good question um well i do i think um about 50 50 I would say the, the product is pretty cool and Kickstarter is a great place for really cool novel products. Mm -hmm. So that, that helps a lot. Um, and gosh, so I launched this campaign July 1st and it ran for 45 days. And I thought, oh, well, it's summer. I'll do a few updates, blah, blah, blah. But pretty much the bulk of my work will be over. And mm -hmm. I can be playing tennis and kiteboarding and sailing and doing all these things I love to do in the summer. And it Turned out it was my friends doing all that stuff and me sitting at the computer <laughs> slaving away for 45 days. So um, having a good work ethic is definitely important. Like you, 
when you launch a campaign, if you want it to be successful, it needs to be your number one priority during while you're running it. Like mm. it, it was as much work, if not more, during the campaign as it was to to plan for it, which um, was a surprise to me. So, mm. yeah, I mean, just really being disciplined about I need to contact 15 bloggers today because maybe one of them will get back to me. And every day you need to do that. And then I need to send out updates and then I need to do this and I need to take these photos and I have to go talk with this person about production and I have to meet with this person and you you really need to stay on top of it. And that is certainly important. And I think people can sense that in your campaign. Mm-hmm. They can sense how committed you are. Um, and also, though, there is that magic thing where there really is no right answer. It's, it's your entrepreneurial spirit. It's your ideas. It's, it's just your flair, your personality. Mm. That, that helps, too. And you're still married, it sounds like. Um, yes. <laughs> so, so you <laughs> made it through. <laughs> yes. I, um, I involve my husband heavily in the business, which uh, I think helps a lot because instead of him saying, oh, shoot, she's working on that dang product again and doing God knows what it's like, he's, he's right there with me and I Mm. make him go to the mountains with me for photo shoots. And, um, (laughs) he has a great time, you know, we just, but it, it helps us, um, you know, we do it together, which, Mm. you know, and, um, I think that helps people backing us, you know, they're backing us as a family. They're, they're, they love our dog. Uh, if you guys watch the video, you'll see our, our golden retriever and a lot of people love him too. And, (laughs) I am not ashamed to use puppies or babies or whatever. Always got to have a dog in the video. You know, I am <laughs> not ashamed at all because it helps people connect with you. Whenever I see a startup like Meet the Team video and there's a dog there, I'm just like, I like that. Totally. <laughs> Good people. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I learned a ton more than I ever knew about Kickstarter before. Yeah. You got any more questions before we wrap up, Andrew? Yeah. I, I just have one last one. So, I think it was before we started recording or maybe in the beginning, um, you'd said that you had learned a lot of things and you were really excited to kind of like help. And I think we've uncovered quite a lot that will help people that are interested like get started. Do you feel like there's anything maybe that you could throw in there, like like a bit of insight to – I mean people are dreaming, but it's you know between the dream and the reality – Yeah. um, I really think the most important thing that I mentioned already is that people know what they're getting right away and that your thumbnail and your little tagline tell it all right up Mm. front. Um, Make it clear, make it good, make people excited about you. Um, That's really, I think, the bread and butter of your campaign. Um, And then if I had one thing to warn everybody about, because this Mm. is a money money Mm. talk... um, you will pay taxes on this income. And mm. one of the big things that you need to think mm. about is if you're going to be a corporation, like an S-corp, and going to go on the cash versus accrual method of accounting, mm-hmm. or if you are going to be an LLC or a sole prop or just – you really need to think about it because – so for us, we got $86,000 deposited – or sorry, seven, it was 76000 deposited into our bank account in August, Okay. Mm. We did not pay our factory until February of the following year. Hmm. So if we're oh. on the cash system, we're paying taxes on $86,000 in income and had very few expenses to write off against it. Hmm. Yeah. So, so think what that does to my cash flow situation. You, you couple that with my normal job and my other income and I'm paying a huge tax bill. Hmm. You wouldn't right? have enough so, money to buy the stuff you needed. 
Exactly. I mean, it could be a really big deal for, for your cash flow situation. So we yeah. ended up um, doing an S-Corp and going on the accrual system, which means we can choose the start and end of our fiscal year. And we okay. can sort of also, you can, um, sh- you know, shift basically the, the cost of goods sold and, and all that. Um, it, it's a good question for your accountant, basically. But I really encourage yeah. people to think about that in, in advance. Now, that is a very good thing to think about. I hadn't thought about like huge gaps of time where you get income, but it's all basically spoken for on an expense that will happen in the future. Like you right. don't want that getting taxed because it, it is already spoken for. So that's a that's a right. very good consideration. Now you put this S corp in place before you did the campaign, or like you kind of like in the middle. You're like, oh shit, and yeah, <laughs> it was one of those <laughs> oh shit moments, like wait a minute, this is going to deposit into my personal bank account and I can't have that. Like, oh my God, we, we need to get a bank account. And to get a bank account, you have to have a corporation. Mm-hmm. To get a corporation, you have to file with the state and the IRS and it can take a while. So um, th- that's a good thing to think about beforehand. That's a good thing. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> I'm glad we was- ended on that because I think that was like a, a necessary dose of reality. Yeah, and it was something that we didn't ask before, but it's definitely important to think about. Yeah. So Jess, thanks so much for coming on the show. Guys, if you have questions about personal finance or Kickstarter or anything like that, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com is our email address. And also, Andrew, I think the community little community link has showed up in the header of the site. Yeah. I guess that means we're in beta. So so we're in beta. Um, if you're interested, come check us out. Uh, I'm loving the community. Definitely check it out. But yes, also, if you want to, you can subscribe on iTunes, mm. Stitcher, or wherever you listen to. That definitely helps us and it helps you get new episodes. Leaving reviews are also very helpful. This week's review comes from Andrew Kai. Uh, is that how we pronounce it, Andrew? I, I don't know. I've, I, Chi, yeah. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> they said, this podcast is for those who are nowhere close to being financially literate. They go over the broad concepts of maybe talk may, uh, many topics, such as investing, budgeting, and you have to start saving money just by being aware of your finances. These guys keep it simple and interesting. I definitely recommend this to people in their 20s and 30s. I made huge strides just by casually listening to this podcast on my commute. Podcasts on the commute, man. They've done a lot for me as well. So, Andrew, thank you for that review. And uh, if you guys want to find our favorite money management resources, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where they are all at. So thanks for listening and hanging out. See you guys in the next episode. Later, man. Later, man. See ya. Tell your friends about this show.